Welcome to the Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Stick around for interviews, analysis, fan stories, and our love affair with Phoenix Rising. And now to kick things off is your host, Niall McCarthy. Phoenix Rising family, thank you for joining us. We have a great show lined up for you today. Since our last show, two golfers had holes in one at the Phoenix Open, which I understand is part of something called the PGA Tour. There was a beer shower and spectators lost their minds. I wasn't there, but I saw it on Twitter and it reminded me of every Phoenix Rising home game. Listeners to this show will agree that there was another event in the Valley this past weekend and it was much more exciting than anything that could happen in any game of golf. I'm obviously referring to the preseason game where Phoenix Rising hosted Louisville City FC on Saturday, February 19th. It was a tough, chippy game. There were smoke bombs, supporters groups going all out for the full 90 minutes and there were thousands of fans in the stands. It wasn't a full house, but we've got to remind yourself that this is only a practice match, a preseason friendly. So when you look at it like that, having thousands of supporters show up for a practice game tells you that this is a special team with an incredible fan base. The final score was two all. Two goals for them, two goals for us. And although Louisville are in the Eastern Conference of the League and are not used to playing in Phoenix, there were several interesting connections that the team has to Phoenix. For example, their manager, Danny Cruz, he went to school here, Ironwood High School in Glendale to be exact. Also, former Phoenix Rising star player Amadou Dia, he recently signed for Louisville and he was in the stadium in their starting 11 on Saturday night. We held back the tears and we wished him well. We've got a full roundup of that game with our regular panelist Kelly McCarthy and for his first time on the show, Phoenix Rising fan James Bacon. James played competitive soccer in Arizona, he's a long-term supporter of local soccer and just like you, a die-hard Rising fan. James will join us for the game roundup and we're delighted to have him on. After that segment, we've got part four of Kelly McCarthy's Where Are They Now series, where she looks at the careers of former Phoenix Rising favourites and asks whether their time with the club was good for their careers. In previous episodes, she brought us stories about Chris Cortez, AJ Cochran and Amadou Dia. Stick around to hear who she's focusing on today. Also with us is John Morrissey. You can connect with him on Twitter at USL Tactics. John is putting out a ton of content during the preseason about how teams are shaping up for the 2022 season and his insights into players and teams is top notch. We're looking forward to both of those segments, but first let's revisit that Phoenix Louisville game with James Bacon and Kelly McCarthy. Enjoy the show. This is Rick Shantz, the head coach of Phoenix Rising, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family on Saturday, February 19th, Phoenix Rising hosted Louisville City FC in a preseason friendly. It was a beautiful, cool night for the beautiful game. The final score was 2-0. And to talk about the game, I'm joined by James Bacon and Kelly McCarthy. Kelly, I know you were at the game last night because I was next to you when you were screaming your head off. James, where were you in the stadium last night and were you screaming your head off? Oh, you know I was screaming my head off. I was on the sidelines sitting behind the visitor section, so it was nice to 
yell back down to Louisville, guys, missing Amadou Adia. <laughs> for sure, for sure. There was a lot to scream about. So, James, I'm going to stick with you. Give us your opening thoughts. Did you like what you saw? I did. Opening thoughts for a preseason game and hit higher expectations than were um, out there. Um, definitely had some lot of high hopes. I saw a lot of good positive feeds as well as some controls that needed to work out a lot of differences from last year with those missing pieces coming in. Kelly, same question for you. Opening thoughts. Sure. So opening thoughts, it was super fun to be back at the stadium and it wasn't super hot. So that was a nice change. I was surprised there weren't more fans just kind of touching upon the fan experience, but um, no complaints. That was certainly nice from like a parking standpoint. And it was a really good game. I mean, the teams, both the first strings and the second strings, and we'll get into that, felt really well matched. We saw some really good looks. And importantly, I think we saw a lot of like cohesiveness with those new players. So we'll talk about the lineup a little bit as well. But overall, I agree with James. It was like more than we expected and really fun. Awesome. So in terms of lines up, lineups and substitutions, preseason games, they're often very different than what we see in the regular season. So Kelly, what format did this game take? Yeah, so this game... It seemed like we started the first half with what is our presumptive starters. So we'll maybe run through that lineup for our listeners. But overall, we had what we expect to be our starting team. They played the first 60 minutes. And in the 61st minute, we substituted 10 of our 11 players, I believe, and brought on that second string to finish out the game. James, did you like that format? I did. There was a lot. I liked the starting 11 that we had last night. It looked very strong, very fast. Yeah, it was it was fun to see so many players on the field because you could point out, oh, wow, we don't see a lot of this player, but he's on the field and he's doing great or whatever. So the there, were, there were some line- position changes that were really interesting too. some players played out of position or moved around on the field where they were from last year from where they normally played. So yeah. for a different dynamic of the game. Okay, well, let's jump in and talk about the starting 11 and uh, we'll just name them and then get into talking about what that that second lineup looked like. Looked like. So we had Ben Lunt started in goal, Babakar Njai, Joey Farrell, James Musa, Darnell King on the back in midfield, Kev Lambert, Aidan Quinn, Arturo Rodriguez, and up front, Santi Moore, Marcus Epps, and our newest signing, the Italian, the striker, Claudio Repetto, wearing the number nine jersey. Okay, so that was the starting 11. There was a substitution um, for the striker um, maybe about 30 minutes in or so. That was when we saw Greg Hurst come in and he took over the number nine position, not wearing the number nine jersey. So 61st minute, that's when we saw the wholesale change in goal. Uh, Edward Delgado, otherwise known as Lalo, on the back line, Channing Chaston. Then we had two trialists as center backs and then Ryan Flood over on the other side. So that's what defense looked like. In the midfield, we had Jonathan Levine, Luis Sejas and Carlos A- uh, and Guiano. Okay, easy for you to say. Ivan Gutierrez. <laughs> Up front, we had Ivan Gutierrez. We had Joey Calistri, who also goes by Vito and Clutch Calistri. And then the striker was, was uh, as I mentioned, Greg Hurst. So 
The game kicked off in the eighth minute. Joey Farrell sent a beautiful ball through the midfield. Moore was off to the races for the first attempt on goal. On goal. 14 minutes, um, Lucidi had a shot on goal. And it was because of mistakes from us playing out of the back. So I'd like to talk about how we're playing out of the back. When our goalie gets the ball, instead of passing it to, uh, let's say, the wing back um, and, and giving the ball to them to play it up, he instead does something that is pretty strange and a bit different. Kelly, do you want to describe what you're seeing? I wasn't expecting this question and I should have been because I've been complaining to you about this new goal kick is when I'm really seeing this kind of change in format. So um, basically when we have a goal kick, Ben Lunt is putting the ball down and then one of our defensive players is passing it to him as opposed to what's more traditional, which is the goalkeeper kicking the ball somewhere into the field. So they're really making an attempt to play out of the back line and I'm not loving it. James, have you noticed that? How are you feeling about it? I did have, have noticed that. I noticed that a lot last night. It was very uh, nerving for all of us is because yeah. it's not our style of play. So you, I was hearing it from all the fans in my section too. Why do they keep doing that? Why do they keep doing that? And I mean, playing the game as long as I have and understanding it, I know there's the tactics behind it to kind of draw the guys forward and open up those positions out in the midfield coming out to kind of misdirect players on the field. So it was understanding, but as a fan and what we're used to, it was on our style of play and it was very, very aggravating. <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't alone on that one. And I'm with oh, you. Oh no, you had a few I... thousand with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I like to roll. And I, I get it too. And I appreciate your explanation, you know, for people who might not be as knowledgeable about the game, but you know, it's it's only good when it works. And I felt like it hasn't yet worked for us. So maybe it'll click, maybe it will be more effective during the regular season. But like you said, it's a little nerve wracking because uh, the other team, I've only seen us play two opponents so far and they're catching on and they're pressing and uh, they're making us sweat a little bit. But yeah, so it's, it's not just playing out of the back. It feels like we're playing out of the goal line and <laughs> under stress. I don't like the ball passing in front of the goal line. And especially I don't like it when we've got our goalie with the two center backs and no other support. And then you've got the attackers on the other side and they're working on their high press, trying to overwhelm us. And um, it's, yeah, it's not a good look for me so far. So uh, I don't know, maybe we'll get comfortable. Maybe we'll, we'll uh, see the guys perfect this and it'll work to our advantage. Guys, in the 17th minute, our, one of our attackers, Marcus Epps, sent a beautiful ball to the back post. Darnell King, a right fullback, was there with a beautifully timed run, and he puts it into the goal, and it's 1-0. So we're not used to seeing Darnell King on a run like that, and we're really not used to seeing balls being crossed uh, along the goal line that way. And um, just, I absolutely loved it. So James, what was your take on that goal? On that, that was fabulous. Again, it was part of pointed out with players playing out of position earlier. Darnell's definitely seemed like he was wanting to play more midfield, which is why he was bruising his speed coming up that right side. For that, the cross, doing a cross, cross goal line like that, 
I've noticed they were trying to do that a lot last week too against uh, Kansas City. So it might be a new tactic coming in when we have different forwards now. So we have to come up with a different game plan than we've had in years past. So we do have a lot more slower. We have faster feet that aren't quite as fancy as Asante's. So yeah, it might be totally a different tactic play. Totally agree. And it worked last game for us as well. We scored well. in a similar kind of way. Mm-hmm. Kelly, your thoughts on that? Yeah, indeed. I loved it last week. I loved it this week. And, you know, the common denominator in both of those goals was Darnell King. So I think I made a comment to Niall rather dorky, but I was like, maybe this will be the year of the back post run because this is something Phoenix rising doesn't always time so well. So it's really nice to see Darnell King show up, show up beautifully on time. And we have to comment on that footwork by Marcus Epps. I mean, he took on a lot of defenders. He was in high traffic. He was really calm. He had beautiful vision to get that ball behind the defensive line. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to be honest, it was perfection. It was gorgeous. Yeah, it was great. Yes. We had two more shots on goal after that. Uh, Lambert had two incredible blocks. Joey Farrell stopped a shot from going into the goal. James Musa was a rock. In the 30th minute, we put the ball in the lucidity net, but it was deemed offside. Goal not allowed, but the team saw this as a great opportunity for a scrap, resulting in two yellow cards, one to each team, and Babukar Anjai, he was the one to get the yellow on our side. So, guys, I didn't see the reason um, why there was, as to why there was handbags uh, after that goal. Did you guys have, have any insight into what happened? Unfortunately, I missed that as well. I was too busy cheering and then booing for the offsides call. Um, From what I've heard out of the fans, there was some controversy of the goalie pushing back at some of the rising players taking the ball out of the net. So might have just been tempers. The yellow card with Njai, that does have me some nerves because he also had the same conflicts last week too. I think he needs to control that soul a little bit. He's got a little bit of a temper that needs to come down. He's taking things too personal on that field and he just needs to put it to action. I'm with James again. I thought Njai looked a little spicy <laughs> a couple of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, it's those high passions that make someone a really good player, but they do have to be controlled as well. So we'll kind of see what happens with him. But I will say I didn't have a good angle on that fight. Unfortunately, you know, I try and get in there. But um, I did notice that Aiden Quinn was in the mix. And this led to a little bit of research. I didn't realize that Aiden Quinn was the captain of Lou City in 2016. So who knows, maybe there were some, you know, old hard feelings or something with his former team, but. Yeah. Dia was on the pitch last night. Amadou Dia, a former favorite, a former star player of ours. And now he's playing for Lou City. I feel like there's one yeah, other ben Lunt. player, a goalkeeper, yeah. Ben Lund. What's the story there, Kelly? Yep, he is a former Lou City goalkeeper. And in fact, when he tended goal for them in 2020, he was goalkeeper of the year for the USL. So, right, right. you know, emotions could run high when you've got, you know, those overlapping players like that. Good point. Lou mm-hmm. City were playing strong uh, throughout the first half. They did get an equalizer three minutes into stoppage time in that first half. And then we're going into halftime, one all. James, at this point, how were you feeling about our prospects? Did you like what you were seeing going into halftime? 
with what I seen going into halftime, I was very, very uh, confident in what the team had put together so far this uh, preseason action going on. They little bit of miscommunications on the defensive side, but ultimately they looked like they had a lot of on-field communication, uh, learning the new format too, the playing across field like that and coming out of the backfield is definitely something different. So it gave me, I was excited for how they uh, performed last night in that first half. Right. Kelly, how are you feeling at halftime? Same, same. We're on the same page here. I thought we looked great. You know, I really hate when the other team scores a goal that close to, you know, the break that never feels great. And James is a former player. You probably feel the same. Like you want to leave that field being up or you want to be the team that just scored. So, you know, that's Mm -hmm. always a tough way to head into the tunnel, but I will say a standout for me in the first half was Babakar Njai. You know, I thought he was really active. I thought he was awesome. And let's face it. He was lined up with, is it Brian Ownby on Lucidity, who is really good. I mean, I looked at my notes. I was taking little notes on my phone last night and I have Ownby is athletic (laughs) with like an eek face. Like he was just a force to be reckoned with, you know, Lucidity has recently brought in a lot of really young players. He's one of the older sort of hangarounds on the team. And it looked like he had something to prove last night. He was really on fire. So uh, yeah. So it was a wonderful half and I was definitely impressed and excited moving into that second half. And the second half didn't start out the way we wanted in the 53rd minute Lucidity get a goal um, it was, it was a goal. It was, it was a shot. It was a block by our keeper and Lucidi was right there and got, got the rebound. Kelly, do you remember that more clearly than I do? Yeah, a little bit, just because I was just talking about Brian Ownby and it was his really awesome shot that Lunt deflected. Ideally he would have caught it because it was then cleaned up by Wilson Harris. And I had noticed Wilson Harris, you know, none of the players had either names or numbers on their jerseys, but I just, he really had a baby face and I I don't know. So something about him, I looked him up later. He's 22 years old. This was his first goal in the colors for Lou city. And I just want to mention that he was the 2020 USL championship young player of the year. So you know, potentially a rising star for Lucidity and for the Championship League. Wow. Well, guys, this was a preseason friendly, but there was nothing friendly about it because three minutes later, another fight broke out. Did you guys see anything? What What was the instigator with that fight? I didn't catch that one much either. I don't remember. I remembered there were two, but I didn't have any details. And that was like on the other side of the pitch from us. So again, that one, I believe was mostly just the refs didn't have a lot of control of the game. And Lou city was playing very chippy and very scrappy. Mm. There was a lot of high elbows being while running. There was a lot of look like cleats up while sliding. Mm. Um, so it wasn't very friendly, as you said, like <laughs> they were definitely playing aggressive, more so yeah. aggressive than off of skills. They were playing more like rugby styles, more <laughs> touch football than football. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. And it was just a few minutes after that, that the lineup changed. So we brought in our second string, if you want to call them that. So maybe not our presumptive starting 11. Just a few minutes after they took the field, there was some beautiful combination play. There was a foul called. We earned a free kick. Sehas curled the ball in and found Clutch Kalistri's head. 
He redirected it and it beat the keeper. Just simple as that. It was a fantastic goal. We're delighted with the equalizer and clutch Kalistri. So we love seeing Kalistri out there. James, um, he has done this so many times, either put us ahead or got the equalizer for us. Definitely one of our favorites. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Clutch Kalistri, he's always been a super sub off the bench. Pretty sure that's going to be his starting role right there. Always coming in that late after the 45 and finish up cleaning up the mess. He seems to know where to be on the field when it's definitely time to perform, put that ball in that net. So Yeah, he's absolutely a super sub. So um, at, at that point, it's two all and that's how the game finished. So rather than focus on any other plays, let's talk about some of our star players. So who stood out from for you? Let's say, let's take it with that starting string. So Kelly, let's um, let's get to you first on that. Okay, so I mentioned that first half, aka also the first string, Babakar Njai definitely stood out for me. Not only was he really active, uh, really on the ball a lot, but he was also defensively really powerful against Brian Ownby. So he stood out for me and Darnell King with the gorgeous goal stood out for me. Kevin Lambert was fantastic. You mentioned a couple of sliding blocks, which are one of my favorite things to watch two right in a row. And Marcus Epps, I mean, I don't think we can say enough about his composure and his vision in that goal in the first half. So I, I don't know, actually everyone played really well as I'm looking through the lineup, I'm just sitting here <laughs> listing everyone that comes across, but I will also say, you know, we only had that recalled goal. Well, it wasn't a recalled goal, that offsides goal, but I just do have a good vibe about Claudio Repetto. I, you know, we haven't seen a ton yet, but I feel good, you know, versus Hurst. I feel like, I, you know, I still don't know. I'm sure he's going to be fantastic, but it hasn't been proven yet. He came in somewhere, I think, in the second half. So so I just listed the whole team. Does that work for you? <laughs> well, Babakar Njai definitely was a standout for me. So over to you, James. Same question. Who are the standouts? Uh, pretty much that whole starting 11, like Kelly said there. I mean, for me, Repetto definitely was a big. I was watching a lot of him because I was excited for that signing. He had like three or four good attempts, including the offside call, which was still questionable, but he seemed to be in the right spots to even create some action for people. He was drawing attention away from others. So, so opening up that again, Epps was a solid performance again with the a field awareness. Um, yeah. Lambert, you got to love the Afro out. And he always seems a lot more agile and a lot faster when the hair is let loose. <laughs> definitely, definitely strong defense out of him. Um, you know, yeah. actually Musa had a good game too. Yeah. yeah. yeah he, looked, sure. he looked really confident and made some awesome, really long balls that landed very nicely where mm -hmm. they belonged. So yeah, I think everyone was was pretty tight in that first starting 11. Santi Moore was great. Yeah. Arturo Rodriguez was great. Just Aiden Quinn it. was great. Let's just say <laughs> it. Joey Farrell, fantastic. There was a surprise for me um, with Claudio Repetto getting the number nine spot, wearing the number nine jersey. It was just, you know, he was signed last week. And the week before, it was all Greg Hurst. Greg Hurst is this... Up and coming superstar, Scottish player. So surprised that he's not in that uh, starting position that Claudio Repetto is. 
Um, any other surprises there for, for you, James or Kelly? I was going to say out of those starting 11s, no, not really. Um, they pretty much all performed as expected, and the players were pretty much where I thought Coach would have did that lineup. Again, Epps and Repetto were the two biggest standouts and surprise performances that I was excited to see. They definitely were the value that we expect out of them, and I expect nice. a lot more coming into the season as they talk to each other more. Me too. Yeah, and I think the only quote-unquote surprise maybe would just be NGI getting the start over Ryan Flood. I mean, I'm personally not that surprised, you know, with some different things that we've heard leading up to this match, but I know you and John Morrissey from USL Tactics talked about our signings and our roster recently, and you both had Ryan Flood in that starting position, certainly for the preseason. So, you know, NJ maybe has earned that spot through practice, but that was kind of an interesting one that I was looking for. And then also for Repetto, you know, I don't know him well, and I dorked out in the last half an hour and did some research, as you can tell, and I looked him up. Um, you know, this is probably something that was in the press release. I just, like I said, I'm not that knowledgeable on him, but he comes to us from Charleston Battery, and they had a losing season last season. And I guess that might be kind of why he didn't stand out. Like he just wasn't supported by a really good team, uh, but he's 24 years old, you know, and it seems like he has quite a bit of pedigree from overseas prior to coming to the USL championship. So maybe not surprising that, you know, he's catching our eye. The second string players that we had on was Lalo Delgado, Channing Chasten. We had two trialists on the back line and Ryan Flood. So James, any surprises there? Shanning definitely was a big standout. He created a lot of good opportunities. He's got some really good speed, high quality, um, created those great opportunities out there. So he was definitely a big pickup and a big surprise. I liked watching out on him. Um, the trialist, they definitely, nothing really blew me away out of them. Just standard performance. I definitely think they need um, more defense. Um, Ryan Flood, he showed us what Ryan Flood is about. He definitely got the uh, ball skills to be there. He's definitely paying attention. Um, it definitely understood why he was playing second under Babacar on that side. Again, I think Babacar just showed a little bit more foot talent and a little more ball awareness. Dip. But again, Ryan's a young, strong player that can overcome that, and he'll get his starts too. Yeah. Over to you, Kelly. What do you think about that back line? Yeah. Uh, you know, we're in lockstep, James and I. I think the only thing I would say is just kind of the surprise that we are currently lacking depth in those center back positions. You know, I think in the last game, Madrid suffered an injury. And we have recently heard that Niall Dunn, who's also one of our center backs, is injured and out for, is it like six weeks or six months? months. I think it's maybe four months at oh, least. Oh, wow. So four to six months. Wow. So yeah. So we are currently lacking depth in the center back position, which is a little nerve wracking. You know, I didn't see anything over the top from the trial list, but I felt confident with them there. You know, I yeah. thought they definitely held up well. And in the game against Sporting Kansas City last week, one of the trialists in the back line really did stand out for me. Um, since we don't give them names, I can't mention who, but, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think, I think they're well able and I'll be very interested to see what happens in those spots. And if we sign and what we announce, because yeah. we're going to need them for sure. Other players, Levine, Sejas, Anguiano, Gutierrez, Calistri and Greg Hurst. Any standouts there? 
Levine got full-size shorts this week. That was thankful for all of us. <laughs> um, you said it, not me, man. <laughs> again, all those guys played performance. Uh, Sadehas, he was definitely all over that field. He was very aggressive on the ball. He set up the set piece for Kalistri to come in. Um, everybody else, they did their job and definitely earned their rights. So I was very pleased with the second string performers as well. How about you, Kelly? Yep, I agree. I, I feel good about them. And I think, you know, pretty much any one of them or many of them anyway could step in to that first string. And that's what you're looking for. And, you know, I'm just interested. We noticed Sejas was playing very well too. And I'm just curious, you know, sometimes people rise up when they're playing with the second string as opposed to rising up when they're playing with people who are better than them. You know, I, I just... I wonder if he had a good game just because he had a good game or if he just feels more comfortable within that second string. So that'll be something I'll be kind of looking for and interested to notice. But um, Delgado did well as well, which is really nice. You want to keep seeing growth from your second string goalkeeper for sure. Um, and then, yeah, Greg Hurst, I'd like to see more. You know, we I don't know who you had on the podcast a couple of weeks ago that was talking about him and, and what to expect with his work rate. He felt a little out of shape to me. So I'll be interested, you know, in seeing what he brings to the table when he's at full fitness. But to that end, I thought a lot of our players looked really fit, which is something else I was kind of looking out for. So awesome. it's pretty awesome. Awesome. So preseason is going nicely. Let's wrap it up, guys. Any closing thoughts? I've got one question as we head towards the closing. And that is, did we miss Solomon Asante on the field last night? James. Uh, personally, I don't think so. I think the team is pulled together. I actually think it opened up a lot more communication through the whole team, allowing everybody to step forward and uh, make their own opportunities. As you see in the year past, we kind of gave up our opportunity to give Asante his opportunity. I think we'll see a lot more of those individuals stepping forward now instead of those breakoff passes when they could have taken the shot. So. Okay. Nice. How about you, Kelly? Ditto. I agree. I think that's well put. And, you know, would Darnell King have made that back post run if Solomon Asante was on the field? Maybe not because he would have thought he didn't need to, or maybe we would have been reliant on Asante. So, you know, you can't talk about Solomon Asante without saying how much you miss him and wish he was still on the team. But, you know, these, these holes are then filled. And sometimes they're filled with multitude of players stepping up even more. Sometimes they're filled with creativity. So, you know, I mm -hmm. missed him emotionally, but I don't think the team missed him. I think a lot of people rose up and we saw some great play. Okay. So James, over to you for closing thoughts. The final score was 2-0 to Loose City. So how did you feel about that as a final score? And then of course, the performance of the team in general. Uh, final score wasn't, I wasn't a fan of that one. I was definitely more of a two, one rising score in our favor. I think there was a couple missed calls on the ref side that led to lose city. And then there were some bad miscommunications on the defensive side of the rising that allowed for that goal to happen. So overall, it was definitely probably a B plus or just a solid a performance. Um, like I said, definitely, um, definitely be interesting to see how he puts the team together. Does he change to a new format, a new, um, 
more like a 4-4-2, or does he stick with his 3-4-3 lineups? Because the players moving out of position definitely changes the flow of the game and how we're used to playing. For sure. Callie, closing thoughts? You know, I was happy with the score. I think Loose City is a really good team, and I think they played really well. And, you know, we were well-matched. I think it was a... it was kind of a tied game in my mind. So I would have preferred the win and I'm so happy we didn't lose at some point. I was like, Whoa, we have to remember, like we need to lock down this stadium. So very happy with the tie, happy with the performance. I think our fitness looked good. Happy. Again, we mentioned that second string looks strong, which is really important. And, you know, it is still preseason. So if we continue to develop in terms of our skills, our fitness and our communication, um, I think we've got a lot to look forward to. And one of those things we're looking forward to is seeing Loose City again, you know, mid-season. So we'll just have to crush them then. July 20th. And unfortunately, it's not here in Phoenix. It's over there in Louisville City in Kentucky. James, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. It's absolutely fantastic talking with you. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Hoping to do it again soon. Awesome. Kelly, it's great talking football with you. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. Hey, listeners, before we move to the next segment, I wanted to let you know that we learned a lot about Louisville City FC in the last episode. Episode 43, we talked to a Loose City fan about the club, their milestones, making it to the Eastern Conference Finals every year that they played, how their roster is developing for the 2022 season, winning two USL Cups, and much more. Episode 43, check it out and share it with a friend. Okay, back to the show. This is John Morrissey from the USL Tactic Show and the USL Show, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Next up on the show today is part four of our series, Where Are They Now? with Kelly McCarthy. Kelly, good to have you back on. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Awesome. So Kelly, give us an overview of what this segment is going to be about. Absolutely. So with a segment called Where Are They Now? I think people need a lot of description. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, It is, listeners, what you think it is. We're talking about former Phoenix Rising players and where they are now. But one of the things that we're kind of focusing on is, first of all, sharing a little bit about these players' histories. And this has been a really interesting part of the segment. Not only are we learning about what the players did and achieved before they came to us at Phoenix Rising, but we're also kind of learning some interesting things as we research them. So as an example, we learned about some different initiatives. We talked about Gatorade Player of the Year. We learned about the Big Ten Annual Best of Awards. We talked a little bit about the MLS roster composition, Generation Adidas. And by the way, all of those were in the AJ Cochran segment. So so kind of looking at what our players we're up to before the game to Phoenix Rising has been really interesting and has taught us some cool lessons about the league, about soccer in the U.S. in general. Yeah, and I'm, then I'm with you on that, Kelly. Um, yeah, and all those things were when we talked about AJ, but when we talked about Chris Cortez, we talked about him playing overseas, and that was kind of cool. And then we had Amadou Dia, and Amadou Dia, we learned something about the rules, the laws of yep. the game, didn't we? <laughs> yep. 
Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yeah, each person that we've researched has kind of taught us something new and different about U.S. soccer, about soccer in general. So that's been really beneficial. And then the other part of this is revisiting their time at Phoenix Rising. You know, these players have been selected because they were really impactful, because their time was powerful, because they were a favorite player. So it's just nice to kind of go down that memory lane. And especially for new fans, it's a bit of history. And I think learning Phoenix Rising player history is really important important and connects you to the team. And then kind of the last point of this segment, um, beyond where are they now? Uh, but the last part is we've been kind of framing these discussions around, did the time that they spent at Phoenix Rising benefit their careers? So just kind of tying a bow around the segment, around the look at the player and saying, hey, you know, how did we aid them? This is something that we purport to do. You know, we help people not only because of where we are in sort of the pyramid, if you will, of U.S. soccer, we're sort of that transition, but do we act like it? Do we take players, up-level them, and move them on to benefit their careers. So we've kind of looked at each player within that lens as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks for the background. Who are we looking at today? So today we are looking at Junior Flemings. He is a striker who plays on the left side typically, and he's from Jamaica. He's 26 years old. He did play in the left wing in a striker position for Phoenix Rising in 2019 and 2020. And he did leave embroiled in controversy. So we'll get into that as well. Wow. Flemo, remember him well. Absolutely. Definitely a favorite for a lot of us when he was on the field. Yep, absolutely. So those are kind of the overarching statistics, sort of the big picture details um, related to Phoenix Rising. But we're going to take it back and start in the beginning. So Junior began his professional career in the U.S. playing for... Red Bulls too. He was there in 2016 and 2017. That's New York Red Bulls for people who might not be familiar with the league yet. So the baby Bulls. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're an MLS two side, if you will. And he had 52 appearances and 16 goals during his time there. And I won't get into this degree of detail normally, but given that we're looking forward to a preseason match tonight at the time of this recording against Louisville City FC, I will mention that Flemo's first goal for New York Red Bulls was against Lou City in his first appearance, and he led the team to victory. So maybe that's a sign of good things to come for us in our match against Lou City tonight. Wow, I love the connection. Is, is that a good stretch? <laughs> no, that's great. It's great. I love okay, it. Okay, so... As I mentioned, he played for New York Red Bulls too in 2016 and 2017. And it was during this time that he got his first international call up and he debuted for the men's national team, the Jamaican men's national team in the 2017 Caribbean Cup. So he had played for their under 17s prior to this, um, but this is the first year that he plays for the men's national team. And he'll go on to have a rather illustrative career, as you as you know, and as many of Phoenix Rising players know. So he goes from Red Bulls two to the Tampa Bay Rowdies, boo, <laughs> where he was the second leading goal scorer for the 2018 season. So he was only with the Rowdies for one season. It was 2018. He had six goals and 
five assists in 28 appearances. So just kind of keep that number in mind, six goals, and he's the the second leading goal scorer. Mm -hmm. So after the 2018 season, he leaves the Tampa Bay Rowdies. He signs with Phoenix Rising in December of 2018, of course, for the 2019 season. And kind of interestingly, I was looking at that press announcement and he was actually named a midfielder in that press release. He was 23 years old at the time. And Niall, I don't think we ever saw him play in the midfield. Yeah, I just remember him on, on the forward line on the left side. Yes, he was in the forward line on the left side, unless he wasn't, because him and Solomon Asante loved to switch mid-game to keep things more interesting. And I'll actually talk a little bit about Solomon Asante in a moment. But so for the 2019 season, Junior Flemings appeared in 30 matches. He started in 25 of those. So he really hit the ground running with Phoenix Rising. He ends this season. He's third on the team in terms of goals scored. So we just talked about this a second ago. He was second for the Tampa Bay Rowdies with six goals. He's third in 2019 on the Phoenix Rising roster. And guess how many goals you have to score to be in third place? Um, I feel like you're setting me up to say (laughs) more than six. So I honestly have no idea. So I'm going to go with seven. (laughs) I laughed. 16. Oh my God. 16 goals in the 2019 season. And he was third leading goal scorer. So I don't know if you want to really stretch your memory and if you can sort of reach back to 2019 and Hey, it's only 2022 (laughs) (laughs) and remember like who else was on the team and who might have scored higher than him. Just if it's fun for you, listeners, we'll give a moment of silence for you to think about it. Well, it's, (laughs) <laughs> gotta be, gotta be Solomon Asante. That's right. Anyone else come to mind? Yes, Adam John. Very good. Beautiful. Yes. And and uh, I don't know which episode it was, but we recently had one of our absolute favorite people, John Morrissey, in the podcast from USL Tactics. And he talked about the most productive forward line players for Phoenix Rising. And Adam John was way up there. So in this 2019 season, Adam John was the second highest goal scorer with 17 goals. And Solomon Asante was the highest goal scorer with 22. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lot of goals. It was a very productive forward line. And I will mention in that year, which was 2019, Solomon Asante was indeed the USL Championship League golden boot winner with those 22 goals. Now I'll also mention and just put a little pin in this. We'll come back to it. Solomon Asante was also the assist champion for 2019. So he had the most assists with a record-breaking 17 assists. So Forgive me and my poor research. I don't know how many games we had in that season, um, but I can assure you he had more than one goal or one assist per game. And I mentioned this, we're not talking about Solomon Asante here. We're talking about Junior Flemings, but I mentioned this because when you, when you have a player like Solomon Asante, who is so productive, who's scoring so many goals, and he also has so many assists, you can see the productivity and how well that forward line is working together and how much they're enjoying each other. So that was, of course, a record-breaking season in a lot of ways, including that was our 20-game win streak. And we'll, we'll sort of reach back and talk about that in a couple of minutes as well. 
But as I mentioned for 2019, uh, Junior Flemings, also known as Flemo, finishes third in goals. And this is, you know, his best season by far in terms of number of goals scored. So he is obviously back in the colors for the 2020 season. Now, remember that the 2020 season was shortened because of COVID, <laughs> we try and block it out of our memory, but it still lingers on, doesn't it? But that was a shortened season. So we only had 16 games. Now, Junior Flemings had another extremely productive and successful season in 2020. And I don't know, Niall, if you're in the mood to keep on guessing, do you remember how many goals he had that season? Mm, 18, seeing as it was 17 the year before. Uh, no, because as I just mentioned, it was a shortened season. Right, there were right, right. only 16 games. Sorry. <laughs> if there's anyone out there that wants to come on and play guessing games <laughs> with me, you're always invited. I, Niall's always in the hot seat. Um, but actually he had 14 goals. So nearly one per game, which is incredible. Right. And indeed he is the 2020 golden boot winner. So amazing. And I just, I told you to put a pin in it. I want to mention that for 2020, again, Solomon Asante is the assist champion, which is the first time a player is, you know, earns this distinction back to back. So really incredible. And I mentioned that because again, we can see just how well these two players work together. You know, they're both incredibly productive and um, it was exciting 2019, 2020 were some really exciting seasons, especially despite, you know, that shortened season in 2020. Sure. So Junior Flemings does not continue the team after the 2020 season. We'll move on to discuss where he went. But before we do that, we're going to talk about some notables from his time on the team, as well as talking about the controversy that led to his departure. So before we get there, Niall, I'm going to ask you another question. And at this point, you're probably sick of these, but this one's a fun one. Do you happen to remember how Flemmo would celebrate his many goals that he scored? I do because to me, it was like an Irish jig. So the way he would <laughs> snap his heels together, I think of river dance, if anybody knows of like the modern take on Irish dancing. And to me, that was Flemmo. And, and when I'd see him score a goal, I'd be like, here we go. It's the jig. So, yeah. Uh <laughs> Couldn't agree more. I wrote down two words, Irish jig. Absolutely. Okay. How could the McCarthy's not be fans over here? It was really fun. It was unexpected. I remember when they announced him that he, that we were signing him and they showed, you know, you see those press releases with videos embedded in them and on social media and they showed awesome goals by Flemings. And then they showed that little jig and we were like, what? <laughs> so unexpected. It's not the backflip, but it was just as fun in its own way. So Yes. So that's definitely one of the ways that we remember Fleming's. And then do you happen to have a favorite goal or a favorite memory? And if not, don't worry, because I am prepared with my own. I do. I don't remember who we were playing, but I, he was fouled hard and he just kept on pushing through. And I really was thinking, oh, my gosh, you know, he's, he'll get a free from there and somebody will score because we were scoring a lot of free kicks. You know, I'm not talking about penalty kicks. We were scoring sure. from a lot of free kicks at the time. Uh, but he just powered through and uh, took a shot and got the goal. And it was insane. Oh, wow. And I just love. Wow. It. Wow. That's fantastic. That's when yeah. you really just say, you know what? 
you can't even stop me, even if you foul me. Yeah. And, you know, I do remember him taking a lot of knocks. You know, I kind of picture Arturo Rodriguez like that. People talk about how often he's fouled. And I kind of picture that with Junior Fleming's just like, you know, and I think when you have that much speed as Flemo had and you have that many breakaways, you know, you you can be a target for getting tripped up. And I can really picture mm-hmm. that, although I can't picture you know, the particular play you're talking about, but right. I have, a but favorite- I just want to say that the, what I just described it, could, I could use the same description for the, um, the goal that Babukar Anjai scored against us when he was with RGV in the playoffs last year. Yeah. Do you remember that when he was, he just went through four of <laughs> our defenders, four midfielders and defenders and um, just was fouled almost went to ground, regained his composure, took a shot and beautiful goal. You remember that one, right? Oh, but unfortunately, yeah. as you're talking about it, it's just replaying in my mind. <laughs> that one's seared in the brain for a while, but hopefully it will get mapped over with a new memory when NJ is you know, playing for us. But yeah, I can yeah. picture it and I agree with you. And that's that determination and that grit that makes such incredible players. But um, if you'll allow me, I will share one of my favorite memories of Junior Fleming's. Um, So this game, and I looked it up and I'll explain why I looked it up in a minute, but this game was from August of 2019. We were playing away in LA against Los Dos. And keep in mind, again, as mentioned, this is the 2019 season. This is the 20 game win streak season. And at this point, entering into this game against Los Dos, we're at win 11 moving into the match. So Rising was down by two goals coming into the second half. And finally, Solomon Asante scores in the 58th minute, and we start to get a little bit of hope. I mean, it had been a pretty rough match up until that point. Then in the 74th minute, Fleming scores an absolutely incredible goal to bring the team level to 2-2. And it's kind of like that goal you were just talking about against us with Babacar. I can still picture it. It was down the left side. We were standing on the sideline, kind of pressed up against the fence. And I just, you know, everyone listening has had those goals, which for some reason, they just have like the best angle on in the whole stadium. You're like, I have the perfect angle. And that's how it was with this Fleming's goal for me. So he pulls it level to 2-2, as I mentioned, in the 74th minute. And at that point, we're all pretty happy. We're back in the game. There's still some time. And then in the 83rd minute, at times running out guess who comes through with the game-winning goal clutch Kalistri. and this would be our 12th win in the streak and it would also be our sixth straight win on the road which was pretty incredible now we didn't know we were headed to 20 we just <laughs> knew at this point we were all just like <gasps> That's 10, that's 11, that's 12. So we're counting up and this continued the streak. And, you know, I looked it up because in my mind, I thought Junior Fleming scored two of the three unanswered goals. He didn't, he just scored the one, but it was just such a memorable goal. You know, it was like, we were in such a bad place with the game. Uh, Asante, of course, being the amazing captain that he was, put the team on his shoulders. And then Fleming's just kind of brought us level. And for some reason that goal really sticks out in my mind. Maybe it's just the tie that he brought us to at that point. I clearly also, remember that Kelly. I clearly you remember, remember that one. And, and when he scored, it, it was a feeling like, okay, we're taking over now, but exactly. we didn't yep. really take over. It really was a clutch goal by Kelly street towards the end there. But Kelly, just 
to to go down a little rabbit hole for a second, the 20 game win streak. And I felt like at this point, at the point that you're describing, we were listening to other podcasts and and they're saying there's no way that Phoenix Rising are going to continue this. It's their luck is going to run out. And we kind of had to agree, right? Because it was it was just beginning to get insane how many yeah. games we were yes. scoring in a row. And so after everyone, it like we weren't smug about it. It was like we can't yeah. believe that we just won again. It was insane. It was a blessing and a curse, you yeah. know. I mean, Phoenix Rising continues to talk about having a target on their backs. You know, we are an incredible team. People want to beat incredible teams. Well, when you're in the middle of a massive win streak, people really want to, they really want to break that streak. Now for people who weren't yet Phoenix rising fans in 2019, we are definitely sorry you missed it because it was an incredible run. We're also sorry you missed it because it aligned with our Friday night games and our dollar beer nights. So we won't go down that rabbit hole, um, but look into it. So it was, it was an incredible run of all kinds, but yeah. So at this point, let's move on to the controversy. So that game was in August that I just described. Well, in September, on September 30th, while playing against San Diego loyal, Flemings is accused of using a homophobic slur against openly gay loyal player, Colin Martin. And I'm sure many Phoenix Rising fans know Colin Martin. He played with San Diego Loyal in the 2021 season as well. So Junior Flemings initially does denies using the slur, but he does end up apologizing later, sort of a few weeks later, I think. And either way, the San Diego Loyal team stands behind Colin Martin. They, they have heard it. They know it happens or they believe it happened. And they decide to forfeit the game despite being up three goals to one. This was actually San Diego Loyal's first season as a team within the USL championship. And I want to say this was the second game that season that they forfeited for something similar. But, you know, they really wanted to come out as a team. They didn't want to. They were a team that wanted to be true to their name, the San Diego Loyal, that really wanted to be clear in who they were and what they stood for. And as soon as that happened and Colin Martin reported that slur, uh, Landon Donovan, as their coach and all their players were united in saying, you know, unless there's an apology now, unless this is resolved in a way that we're comfortable with, it's not about the win. It's about, you know, it's about what's right. And they left and ended the game, ended the match. So at that point, Flemings was put on administrative leave by Phoenix Rising. He was also assessed a fine by the USL Championship League, and he was put on a six-game suspension. Now, this was the end of the 2020 season, so he did not take the field again for Phoenix Rising, and that was how his career with us ended. I remember watching that game and just the feelings that I had of confusion because we really didn't know what was going on at the time. Yep. So this was an a really unfortunate incident for absolutely both teams, for everyone involved. But I think looking back and now that we've had some distance from it, you know, there were some unexpectedly positive outcomes. You know, you would never want this to have happened. You would never want Colin Martin to have experienced that trauma. You know, we just would not want Phoenix Rising to have been in that light. 
for Junior Flemings to go through the fallout that absolutely became him. You know, it was just, it was really unfortunate, but it is, it is awesome that we can look back and see that some good things did come out of it. You know, as I mentioned, San Diego Loyal were very convicted in their stance and their non-tolerance for this type of language and behavior and these feelings. And it really made, I think, Phoenix Rising and the league get clear on how we talk about and how we support the LGBT community, not only within the league and our players, but also in the communities where we play. And so I think sparked, you know, by, by the world, by the happenings, but also by this incident, you know, people had to get really clear and had to define, you know, what Pride Month means, how we treat players, what verbiage we use on the field, you know, and unite around supporting this community. So I think that that was unexpectedly positive. That was a good thing that came out of it. It, it forced the league and Phoenix Rising to take a look at some of these issues. And then another big takeaway for me was, you know, how Landon Donovan and more importantly, Colin Martin and their responses really were such an amazing reflection of who they are and how they wanted to frame this. You know, both of them were really clear that Junior Flemings was entitled to a second chance. They talked about not wanting to, you know, not participating in cancel, cancel culture and that they both saw this as an opportunity for growth and change, which it turned out to be. So, you know, I think, I think they were amazing and they were stand up and that kind of actually parlays. If you don't mind, Niall, I'll move on to talking about where Junior Flemings goes next and how that kind of relates to both Landon Donovan and Colin Martin. The silver lining in all of this was that it, you know, I think this is yeah. maybe the first time that, that this had come up. It Other issues had come up with racism, but I don't remember that, that this you know, LGBT plus issue had ever come up before? Well, you know, what does it mean for it to come up? You know, were homophobic slurs used before this moment? Absolutely. You know, and at some point the world, and it starts with one player, one action, one game, and I'm not suggesting this was it, but at some point someone says, we don't tolerate this anymore as part of the game, you know, and this incident was part of that conversation. And that's really important. You know, right. it's, it's, it was San Diego loyal drawing a line in the sand and just saying, we don't participate in games where this is acceptable and right. kudos to them. Right. So Absolutely. as I said, relatedly, uh, sort of a, a good transition there is junior Fleming's ends up transferring to and getting picked up by Birmingham Legion for the 2021 season where he sits out for the first two games as he was finishing up that six game suspension for foul and abusive language. So I mentioned Landon and Colin were very diplomatic, were very forgiving, you know, use this opportunity as a teaching point. And Birmingham Legion, when they announced that they were picking up Junior Fleming's contract, publicly stated that they had spoken to not only other players who played with Junior Flemings at Phoenix Rising and before the coaching staff at Phoenix Rising, but they also talked to Landon Donovan and Colin Martin and all were supportive and stood behind Junior Flemings and said, yes, a second chance is an opportunity to do better and be better. So he moves on to Birmingham Legion. He has a decent 2021 season with the Legion. He appears in 21 games. He scores six goals, which for that season was the second most on the team that's behind their main goal scorer is Nico Brett, who had 18 goals on the season. 
And it looks like Junior Fleming's actually had a player option on his contract. When the season ended, he decided not to pick up that option. Um, just by the by, for people who are wondering, um, Birmingham Legion did make it to the semifinals for the Eastern Conference, and they lost to the Tampa Bay Routings. Flemings was not available for that match because he was actually on international duty, which he's continued to play for the Reggae Boys and the Jamaican men's national team. So he leaves Birmingham Legion, and then fairly recently, in early January, he was transferred to Toulouse FC, which is French League Two. I just didn't even try. Niall, can you pronounce that appropriately? Is it Toulouse? Is it Toulouse? Toulouse. Okay. Niall said it. If it's wrong, <laughs> we'll call Amadou Dia and find out. So at the time of his transfer, which was back in January, that was about mid-season for the club. Obviously, the seasons are different in France. So they were mid-season. And based on their record at the time, it was very likely that they were going to end in a really good spot and very possibly be promoted to League One for 2022. Now, just for the record, League One, that's the French term, it's the league. Um, So that's the top tier in French football, unlike League One here, which of course is the bottom tier. So that's really exciting. Uh, If this team is indeed promoted, if Flemings ends up playing in League One in the French system, that will likely mean even more money for Birmingham Legion. And they already got a record transfer fee for Flemings contract of $500,000. So this was a very lucrative, awesome deal, certainly for Birmingham Legion and hopefully for Junior Flemings as well. So cool. Hey, Kelly, just an FYI, the Toulouse were doing very well in League Two when Flemo transferred over. They are, as of today, first in League Two. Amazing. And, you know, for a little more context around that transfer, I recommend you listen to a recent episode of Three Honest Lads, which is Devin Kerr's podcast, and he has Junior Flemings on. And I want to say Junior Flemings is like on the airplane to France or something. It's not the best sound quality, but it was like Devin Kerr caught him right before he left. And so they talk a little bit more about that transfer You know, I think Flemings was talking about brushing up on his French, you know, how it feels to move to another country. And he also talks a little bit about his awesome time with Phoenix Rising. So check that out. Three Honest Lads with Devin Kerr, who is not three people and may not even be an honest lad, but (laughs) don't tell him I said it. Uh, It's a great podcast. Check it out. But so anyway, obviously, you know, Flemings left Phoenix Rising under controversial circumstances, but I really wanted to highlight him in the series for a couple of reasons. And I say this for people who might say like, hey, why are you putting in a spotlight on someone who left under those circumstances? But first of all, he was a very, very impactful player for Phoenix Rising. He was one that fans loved watching and not just for that Irish jig, uh, but for his many, many, many goals that he scored with us. He really made his mark on the team. Second, I think it's really important to just kind of acknowledge this part of the team's history, a mistake was made a hurtful hurtful mistake was made and phoenix didn't necessarily handle it right they didn't necessarily going into this scenario have a clear culture around lgbt plus rights and now hopefully we do and also you know fleming showed really poor judgment he showed insensitivity 
He maybe showed ignorance around, around this, this um, community, around what's appropriate. You know, he suffered for it. He was fined. He was suspended. He definitely had a lot of fallout from it personally. And I like to think that he learned from it. You know, I believe in personal growth very much. I believe in second chances. I believe people are allowed to make mistakes. We don't encourage it. We don't want it. There are certain things that we try never to make mistakes around, things that are so sensitive, that are so important that have to do with basic human rights. But, you know, part of being a healthy adult is making mistakes and being strong enough to say, forgive me, I can do better and then doing better. And I hope that's what happened here. So um, that's why I wanted to talk about him. And then just getting back to, you know, the conclusion kind of on the, the reason that we're talking about and doing this in general, framing it around, hey, was playing for Phoenix Rising a good thing uh, for their career? And I'm going to say hands down, absolutely yes for Junior Flemings. I mean, he definitely had his most productive season in terms of goals, in terms of appearances, in terms of time on the field. And it really got him noticed despite the controversy, despite the hiccup and the challenges that he had, he has now landed in a really good position in a European market. And I think that's a dream for many, many footballers. Yeah, I think his time with Phoenix Rising really benefited his benefited his career. Um, and just another FYI to throw in there, Kelly, he has not taken the field for FC Toulouse yet. Yeah. Okay, awesome. Is that it, Kelly? Or do you have do you have any more? That's it. I mean, the rest of this story is untold. We definitely hope to keep an eye on his career there in Toulouse. We definitely hope to keep an eye on all of the players that we've talked about as part of this awesome series, where are they now? And, you know, we want to keep the conversation going as well. So if you are a Phoenix Rising fan and a regular listener to the podcast, please feel free to reach out to us. If there's a player you want us to highlight down the line, or if there's a player you know about, you keep in contact with, feel free to leave us a message, drop us an email, reach out to us on social media and let us know what these former players are up to because you know, like I said, it's part of our history. Knowing our former players and seeing their successes is a huge part of the community that we build. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay, Kelly, thank you for rounding that out so beautifully. Junior Flemings, he's 26 years old, so he still has a long way to go. Maybe his most exciting years are still ahead of him. Um, I hope so. And Kelly, thank you so much for bringing us this segment. Of course. Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. All right, this is Brian, aka the Mass Maniac from Union 602, and you are listening to the Fan Experience. Next up, we're welcoming John Morrissey from USL Tactics back to the show. Great to have you with us, John. Yeah, hello as always, Niall. Really nice to be here. Let's get right to it. What's going on around the league? Probably the biggest storyline over the course of the past seven to ten days is that Phoenix Claudio Rebeto signing could hint at a little bit of a 4-4-2 look at times for this racing team, which is something exciting to think about for sure. Um, just trying to balance that double pivot, thinking about the interaction between maybe a Hurst and an Antwi or a Rebeto up top. So that's fun. Um, for sure. And by fun, John, I know you mean goals. So definitely yes to that. Hey, sticking with new signings, Kai Green was just signed by Monterey Bay. What's the significance there? 
Phoenix fans might remember him in terms of what he was doing in Oakland last season. Played in most every one of their games, really anchoring them as a central defender. Very good aerial presence, very athletic sort of player. And um, my modeling rates him as one of the top 10 to 15 percentile players in the entirety of the league. He's joining Hugh Roberts, who I spoke about last week uh, in that back line for Monterey. Well, John, that's definitely interesting for us Phoenix fans because the first game of the season is against Monterey Bay. So with those two signings, are Monterey Bay in good shape for the season? This isn't a very good team, let's be real. (laughs) But those center backs are excellent. I mean, they really do have a claim to be the best combination at that spot in the entirety of the USL. Combine that with a platoon of two goalkeepers, one in Rafael Diaz, who's a proven USL player and a longtime Sacramento Republic man, and Dallas J, who put up league-leading numbers in League One last season. Suddenly, you've got a team that you don't know where the goals are coming from at all, but they're not going to be shipping things easily. So I think that's something to watch, and I think green is really a symbol of the identity that they're trying to uh, build there up in Monterey. Shifting gears again, John, I saw you tweet about Manny Perez joining Louisville City during the week. What's the story there and how does he fit with their system? So Perez is a 20-something, I think maybe 22 or 23-year-old winger. Um, a deep cut for fans who would never, rather would recognize him from North Carolina FC uh, a few seasons back. Got a chance in MLS. He's very uh, dynamic, very talented. And he sort of adds to this muddled midfield that Louisville has where they have just an absolute load of, what, 22, 23 or younger players who could feasibly get minutes. But I think it's symbolic of the approach that that club is trying to do and maybe the direction that USL is heading as a whole. It's a youth movement there. In seasons past, you've seen your Brian Ownbees, your Antoine Hopinos, players who are 30 or above and are doing a great job but a team needs to replace them. And I think the typical USL model would be sign another 28 or 29 year old, write him out for two or three years, complete that cycle. Louisville is kind of taking a different tact here. Um, You've seen Ray Serrano come in at I think 19 maybe uh, off of the Tacoma system. Uh, JT Kamara came in last year in the sort of attacking midfield spot and spent the year on loan in league one. Um, they sort of let Alexis Swahi, one of their longtime central defenders, go in order to let some youth play this season. Louisville's really committing to a half-academy, half-poach young players from other teams kind of style and, and how they build their roster. And I think it's super exciting to see. So that Manny Perez move, just symbolic of a fun phenomenon going on in Kentucky. Awesome, John. I know that you keep a close eye on your former hometown team that's in the 11. What's going on over there? But they signed Tim Trilk over from League One. Uh, My numbers don't particularly like it, but for Indy, that's an improvement over a 19-year-old. And it's a good transition into some of the preseason results. Okay, John. Well, you've really got my attention now when it comes to preseason results. I'm focused just on the Phoenix Rising matches, haven't been paying a whole lot of attention to the other games, but I know it's pretty exciting stuff, so what's going on? What's happening with preseason games in the league? Uh, Indy and Detroit faced off, actually, and I think what was Detroit's first real competitive matchup, and they drew to a 1-1 result, but exciting to see on the Detroit side of things, certainly just as a new sort of club. Uh, Elsewhere across the league, you saw Louisville, who obviously I just spilled some ink over, 
uh, get a five-digit win over El Paso. And you never want to read into a preseason result, and especially for El Paso, um, just starting a new regime with a brand new manager. But that's an impressive win for Louisville, no matter how you slice it. Uh, elsewhere, Tulsa got a 3-1 to one defeat against the Colorado Springs switchbacks. Now, I've been really high on what Colorado Springs did this offseason, so I think I'll invest a lot of false hope and optimism in that result. But um, the interesting thing on the Tulsa side was they did a 4-2-3-1 shape with Brian Brown, a new signee up top. I sort of didn't know how Tulsa was going to shake out in terms of the alignment that they went with and the tactical style. So to see one forward instead of two, which they preferred last season, and the new signee, Brian Brown, who has had a shaky couple of years, is just something to note. Um, elsewhere, Pittsburgh beat Loudon 3 to nothing. And I think my last shout of the day will be for Wyatt Borso, who's a 17-year-old forward. Um, been talked about really highly by people in the sort of Pittsburgh arena of things. He apparently really impressed in this match. This is a team that doesn't have a ton of forward depth beyond Dane Kelly, which, I mean, is kind of silly to say. It's like the Rising don't have a lot of midfield depth behind Kavon Lambert. Well, I mean, he's the best player at his spot, but I digress in any event. I think Borso could really get some minutes this season at just 17 years old. And I mean, if, if youth is the theme of what I've been talking about today, and that's something exciting for the league. So that's kind of where I'm at with the news. That's amazing, John, a 17-year-old striker. Wow. Hey, thank you so much for coming on today. Really appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. Can we go now? <laughs> okay. <laughs> this is Sarah from Union 602, and you're listening to The Fan Experience. Phoenix Rising family, that's it for our show today. Thank you so much for joining us and downloading episode 44 of The Fan Experience, a Phoenix Rising supporters podcast. Thanks to our guests, James Bacon, for being a guest analyst on the Game Roundup. That was so much fun. Thanks, too, to Kelly McCarthy for insights on that Louisville City game and for bringing us the fourth and final installment of her Where Are They Now series, where she looked at the careers of former Phoenix Rising standouts. In case you missed any of them, Kelly talked about striker Chris Cortez in part one. That was episode 40. She looked into defender AJ Cochran's amazing story in part two, that was in episode 41, and she brought back memories of defender Amadou Dia's time with Phoenix Rising in part three, that was episode 42. Looking back at former players during this off-season and during the preseason was a lot of fun. We've had requests to cover other former Phoenix Rising fan favorites like Long Tan, like Alessandro Rigi, like Sean Wright Phillips and of course Didier Drogba, so stay tuned, you never know. Huge thanks too to John Morrissey from USL Tactics who does just an incredible job of keeping us up to date with what's going on in the league. Thank you for sharing this podcast with a friend. Please take a few minutes to rate, review, subscribe, and follow this podcast. We love hearing from you, so send your questions, thoughts, and ideas to thefanexperiencefc at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at fanexperiencefc, and the invitation's always there for you to come on the show and talk rising. There are two more preseason games. Sadly, they're behind closed doors, so the next chance we'll have to see the boys will be in the first game of the season, a home match against Monterey Bay on March 12th. We have lots in store for you before then, including an interview with one of your favorite players from the current roster, so stay tuned for that. 
if you're lucky enough to be in Phoenix, enjoy this amazing Phoenix weather as we nudge closer to those 80 degree days as we transition to tank tops, t-shirts and to our new 2022 season Phoenix Rising jerseys. Oh yeah, shouldn't we be seeing a jersey release right about now? I don't have any insider information, but mm, I've been thinking, you know what you could have printed on the back of your new jersey when you get it? Go Rising!